On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 86th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. And this is me, Mac B, the Wolf, your host, leading you on his adventures through the UK and London as an American expat who misses his record collection more than his friends and family. Of course, one of his dear friends, Action Jackson, is his co-host and partner in crime on this show, and we'll be welcoming Action here on the show here very shortly. Hope everybody's... Hope everybody out there in London has been taking care of this week as it has been hot. Now, look, I grew up in the Midwest and in the Southeast, so when it goes over 100, which happens several times during every summer of my life uh, to this point, it's just something you have to be aware of. All right, maybe you take it a little easy that day, you know, make sure you spend more time in the AC. But they're not used to that stuff here in England and London. And we had record-breaking temperatures all across the island over the last couple days. And I just hope everyone out there is being safe and secure. So glad it wasn't so nasty hot during the BST Hyde Park shows. Those two Rolling Stones shows I went to were absolutely beautiful. Maybe didn't hit 70 degrees, which I don't know what that is in Celsius. It's the one thing you people should change. I mean, we should maybe all go to millimeters and kilograms and all that, but we're not scientists. You know, you don't need Celsius. It's not 100 when it boils and zero when it freezes. It's contrived. Just use Fahrenheit. All you really need to know is whether you need a jacket or not, right? Anyway, it was nice and cool during those shows. For the third show that I went to, the last show of the summer, the Duran Duran show, it was warmer. You know, it got up in the 80s and the sun was on us, but it's nothing like it's been this week. So I just hope everyone out there is staying cool and, and, and taking care of each other. But this show is about that Duran Duran show, a band who I'd always wanted to see ever since I was eight or nine years old. Didn't even really know that going to concerts was a thing back then. But I knew that on MTV, they had the coolest videos like Rio and Hungry Like the Wolf. Even Is There Something I Should Know, which may have been the first one I saw. Brilliant, brilliant use of the medium. They had great like muscled Mulcahy or Mulcahy, however you want to pronounce it, doing a lot of their videos. They used a lot of color. They had the sound of a generation. They looked good. Duran Duran were everywhere on MTV, and MTV really got a big boost from having Duran Duran bring them the content of those videos. And, of course, what they did with Seven and the Ragged Tiger and Wild Boys, the multi-million dollar video that was off the Live Arena album. They were huge. You cannot understate the influence of Duran Duran on pop culture, on MTV, and on people of my generation back in the early to the mid-80s. So we're going to talk about that here today and the fact that I got to take my daughter, the Wolf Cub, let her share this experience. She loves going to concerts. She loves to dance around. And she likes the music of Duran Duran. So I'm really happy that I got to take her. Now, first, we need to talk a little bit of business. We are sponsored by RareVinyl.com. And if you're looking for hard-to-find records or you're a collector and you only want things in the highest quality condition, You've got to check out rarevinyl.com. They also have another site, eil.com. They've been doing it for over three decades. They have over a quarter of a million. That's right, 250,000 plus pieces of vinyl and posters and LPs and CDs and singles. 
and tour programs and all sorts of little pieces of rock and roll memorabilia. It's not all rock and roll. You like jazz, you like blues, you like classical. You can find almost anything there. They have a great team and an amazing staff that goes out and finds the highest quality stuff and then make sure it gets in your hands in the pristine shape in which you desire it. Not to mention, if you use the code PODCAST, just P-O-D-C-A-S-T, when you check out, you're going to get 10% off of your order, which is a great deal, and they do ship all around the world. And yes, our biggest markets are the UK and the US, but we've been heard in over 100 markets around the world, so if you've got that rare or hard-to-find thing, or you're a collector of certain Duran Duran properties, hey, go check out rarevinyl.com, use the code PODCAST. We're also proud to be part of the Pantheon Podcast family of shows, which has about 100 different shows on everything music-related. I don't care if you like classic rock like us, or you like hip-hop, you like jazz, pop music. It doesn't really matter. There's going to be some shows in there for you, some amazing artists and hosts. And we've got a few friends that we've done crossovers with on our show, like Paul from Vintage Rock Pod and This Day Rocks, like Jay from The Hook Rocks, like Tom and Zeus from Shout It Out Loud cast, the number one KISS podcast in the world, and we're so glad that they are back doing what they do well. So glad to hear you guys again. And Christy Alexander-Hallberg, who will be coming soon. She was on our show talking about her book, Searching for Jimmy Page, and she's got her own show launching here very soon. You're going to want to check that out called Rock Is Lit. And if you want to follow us or reach out to us, you can do so at Ugly underscore werewolf or Twitter. We're also working on YouTube. We're working on Instagram. I think we've got something going on Facebook. But Twitter is the best way to get us. And our email address, uglyamericanwerewolf at gmail.com, is a great way to let us know how you're doing, what you think about the show. But back to Duran Duran. It's our my third straight week going to Hyde Park. This time it was warmer. This time it was just me and my eight-year-old daughter, so it's a little different dynamic than when I was alone or when I was with both the wife and the daughter. But it was a festive time. It was a little warmer. It was fun. She's a little trooper. She couldn't wait to go to her next rock and roll show. I'm the one who has to tell her, no, we have to leave early, or no, you know, you can't go to every single show. I'm not taking you to Iron Maiden and stuff like that. But she wants to see everything, and I'm just trying to be super dad, take her to as many things as I can, you know, get her as much, get that rock and roll into her soul so that when she gets to be 12, 13, 14, and everybody's listening to the, the latest Britney Spears or Megan Trainer or whatever the kid, Harry Styles, whatever the, the, the crap solo pop artist of the day is, she's going to have the good stuff in her. And I think that's my job as a dad to indoctrinate the rock and roll and the good music into her. So she won't get hung up with the junk that's going to come her way. So let's jump in. Let's go ahead and get into it. Third weekend in a row. So happy to see my childhood heroes, Duran Duran, live at Hyde Park. We're talking about them here on The Wolf. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well... I could make a run to the store, 
or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, uh, oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Can we start with the uh, airing of the grievances? Yeah, let's let's that sounds like a good thing to start with. Okay, so we've been talking a lot about the stadium tour. Right. Both here and and in the Twitter universe. Mm-hmm. There was a story that came out this week about somebody had spotted Vince Neal's teleprompter oh. instead of one of the risers. There's a teleprompter and it went back and forth a lot on the on on the Twitter universe people having their opinions about it oh it's crap you know he's that's it he's cheating and whatever i mean how do you feel about that how do i feel about that you know look they have a big job to do you know they're not playing an arena they're playing a stadium and they're sharing the bill with some pretty pretty big pros you know in def leopard who are amazing and awesome but even the folks below them like joni and the guys in Poison, whatever you want to think about Poison, they are professionals. They go out and they deliver a show. And Brett Michaels doesn't need a teleprompter. And so if you want him to deliver the best show, then that's probably one of the necessary pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. You know, now, do I think it's pretty weak? Because it's not like there's anything new on there, right? I mean, if he learned the lyrics 30 years ago, he should probably still know them. But I mean, the joke was, you know, Nikki has to write out the lyrics for him because, you know, Vince doesn't write songs. 
but he also needs somebody to read it to him, right? So, because <laughs> I don't know that he reads that much. So I'm like, I don't even know what the teleprompters are really there for, but that's just me. Well, my, my thought is, so if you go and see an orchestral performance, you know, mm. even at the Royal Albert Hall, all of the musicians have the mu- music on the stands ready right to go. I don't think that's such a big deal. I mean, if my if the choices are either he has that or there's a pretty good chance he's going to forget one of these lyrics, let him have it up there. That's fine. To me, I'd rather see that than somebody singing in the background or the mm-hmm. music. I, I'd rather see that than a pre-recorded track. So if he needs that, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. Definitely. Yeah, that's right. You know, and, and you want him to get it right. And if he really is struggling with which which bit comes next, I mean, you know, on show, whatever it was, 70-something, we were talking about Sting. Sting's a pretty smart guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he messed up message in a bottle. You know, he did the third verse instead of the second or whatever it was. Right. You know, so it, it can happen to anybody. We, we've seen it happen before. I mean, the only people who I know have ever really done it on a regular basis so I guess Vince now, Ozzy does it, yeah, because Ozzy's out of his mind. I, I, <laughs> you know, I mean, poor Ozzy, you know, uh, and and again, I don't know how well Ozzy can read, so I just hope the teleprompter actually helps him. But you know, Ozzy needs all the help he can get, so it's like if Ozzy needs to just give it to him. You know, I, yeah. I saw him twenty years ago and thought, wow, he's past his prime. So if, <laughs> if people are still seeing Ozzy, you better hope he has a teleprompter. The other that that was very controversial at the time was Guns N' Roses. Axel used it during the Use Your Illusion tour mm. and the thing they did with Metallica. And I think a big reason for that was it was, you know, they had these two and a half hours worth of new music on those two albums that they just wrote. Like, they just wrote it. And, you know, like, don't cry. Well, which version are you doing, right? You know, like, that could screw you up. You know, you'd be in verse one of, of Don't Cry version one, and then you go into verse two of Don't Cry version two. So it might be helpful to have some of that stuff up there. But I remember he took a lot of shit for it back in 92 mm, or whatever yeah, that was. I do, I do remember that because I was thinking about that too. You know, who are the other people? I know Ozzy was the big one, that he's had that for a while. And, and but, for, but he needs it. But that is correct. But for yeah. Axel, I mean, what would you rather have? Do you want to have the teleprompter or do you want to have him forget a verse, kick the microphone across the stage and then right. leave? Let's just put up the words so we can get through this. You know, the other thing I was thinking, too, is that, I mean, there could be stuff going on on the stage. You know, if you get distracted for a minute, I mean, it's mm-hmm. a big production. Maybe we haven't done this for a while. So want to make sure that whatever makes you feel comfortable, go ahead and do it. Let's just uh, get through it and not have a big, you know, like you said, you forget where you are in the song or you start singing the wrong song or something right. like that. Yeah, it's not like he's in sick shape like a Bruce Dickinson or something like that. You know, I think he's in better shape. I think he has lost some weight, Vince. Yes, yes. But I mean, if he's trying to, to be a front man and run around a little bit, you get tired. You know, you just get a little worn out. You may even get out of breath. So you need to know what's coming up so you can get ready for it. And, yeah. and he doesn't have to think about it. If Vince starts to think, they're in trouble, you know. Correct. So they need him <laughs> to just kind of do what he does. And so if it's there for him, yeah, that's fine, you know. And I noticed that our buddy Matt B on the Twitter, he went to the Detroit show, and he was talking about how awesome the crew were. I think he he has a bias towards the crew. I think he's just a big fan. And see, I would I'd like to get him on to just because of that because I went to go see Def Leppard. Was happy to see Motley Crue, but was mm-hmm. there for Def Leppard, and it sounds like yeah, he was the other way around. And maybe Motley closed too. Um, I'm not sure, but huh. know, 
obviously that makes a difference. I think if, if they're the real headliner that closes yes. the show, you know? Yeah. Cause when I went to see them, there was no, there was no fanfare when they were setting up the stage. Like you didn't know who it was, but then when they were over and you knew Def Leppard was last, they had all the stuff on there. They had the big, you know, diamond star halo mm-hmm. pictures up and they had a big countdown. And so you knew what was happening. So yeah, that might've been completely the other way around if Motley was going to close the show. Well, and it's just good that Tommy's back doing it. I mean, I, I obviously a big deal was made that he only came out and played a few songs or like there was no announcement before the tour started. Mm. He just came out the first night. He's like, Hey man, I got broken ribs, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and the doctor dude told me not to play but i'm going to play anyway you know and then he did what he could and then he was off you know but now i think that he's he's in for the whole show so obviously they were hoping whatever tommy did fell off his motorcycle banging four chicks at the same time whatever he was doing to break those mm-hmm. ribs they were hoping well he'll be fine by the time the tour starts so there's no reason right. to put anything out there and then it's like, all right, it's going to be a couple weeks before I'm really together. So they just kind of kept it quiet. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm pretty sure he went into that first show thinking he was going to play the whole thing and then got five songs into it and was like, no. Uh, yeah. So tell me, because Def Leppard have a lot of female fans, as do Poison, and obviously mm-hmm. Joni does as well. What was the kind of breakdown of the crowd? Was it 50-50? Was it... Mostly guys, but you know, well represented from the female portion. Was it more women? What would what would you say your? I, I would say it was fifty fifty, and I it was it was interesting too. Now that I'm thinking about this, because there were group I saw groups of both men and women. Mm-hmm. I saw groups actually. There, there I didn't really see too many groups of just guys. But I did see groups of just women. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there were a lot. the The female fans were definitely well represented. But you figure you had. Def Leppard always had a big, big female, female following. following. Yeah. So does Poison. Absolutely, they, I would say they would probably more female than male. Yep. Uh, and then, and then there were a lot of like they had a lot of like tough rocker chicks for uh, Joan Jett too. Yeah. Right. And I, I was really, I didn't know how that was going to go, especially since she was coming on early and it was still pretty wet. There were a lot of people standing in the rain, just yelling, jumping up and down for the Joan Jett song. So that was really cool. Yeah. It, it, I would say it, it probably at least 50 50 and a lot of a lot of women who were there because it looked like they were fans not just like well okay the old man wants to go so let's mm-hmm. go no they were they and a lot of people a lot more people with poison shirts on too than I thought I was like oh, okay interesting no no they're they're very popular especially yeah. in that part of the world so you because I asked that because you know I went to those two stone shows in Hyde Park uh-huh and it, it's pretty close to 50-50. I might say it skews maybe a little bit more male, you know, like 53-47 or something like that. Uh, yeah. but, but for the most part, it's 50-50. At the Duran Duran show, I, I'd say it was, it was more like f- 55% female. Uh-huh. And there were a lot more like four girlfriends. We're all going to go out. We're all going to go dance to our favorite 80s tunes, you know, uh-huh. all psyched up about it. You know, because there's a lot of couples there at the Stone Show. And not that there weren't a Duran Duran, but there were a lot of like groups of women like okay. this is girls night out. It's Duran uh-huh. Duran time, you know, so. That could get out of uh, control in a hurry. Well, if they were young, I mean, these are, <laughs> you know, because my wife didn't go with me. So to set the stage, you know, we bought these a year and a half ago or whenever mm. it was. Duran Duran was supposed to play Hyde Park in 2021. It all got postponed for COVID. So we come back to this year and now it's time. And it just so happened the night of the concert that morning, my wife and the Wolf Cub 
were coming back from America. Like they got oh. to the house at 9 a.m. after a transatlantic flight all night. So I'm like, I, I just looked at my wife. I'm like, you're not coming tonight, are you? She's like, no, <laughs> no, I, I can't make it. And I, I offered my daughter the out, but she's at that age. You know, she doesn't want to miss anything. You know, oh. she doesn't even have to know any of the songs. She's like, yeah, I want to go, daddy. Let's go with Duran Duran. You know, so, uh, so we ended up going just the two of us. Oh, nice. And I was telling my wife afterwards, like, yeah, there were more women at, at the show last night than there were at the Stone Show. She goes, oh, there's a lot of hot chicks there. I'm like, well, I wouldn't say that. I'd say there are a lot of women at the show. <laughs> I like a lot of models hopping around. In fact, I saw some really just gorgeous women at the Stone Show, whereas I saw a bunch of like moms who were just like, Finally, mommy's got a night away and she's going to go have some fun at the Duran Duran show. You know? But it was hot. I mean, the thing is, at those first two Stone shows, it didn't break 70 that day. Uh -huh. uh, and it was over 80, which is a little hot for London. Uh, and the sun was on us, you know, and the sun doesn't set till after nine or thereabouts, you know. So it was, it was a little hot, like walking in there and getting in there. We had to kind of take a break before the music started. And so, and I just, you know, and this time I said, we, we got to find shade, you know, priorities on shade. Yeah. You know? And well, another thing that was very different was at the Stone shows, the merch lines were like 45 minutes to an hour. Like you want to get wow. a Stone shirt, you got to sit in line for a long time. You wanted a Duran Duran shirt, you walk right up. There's really? nobody in line. I mean, maybe you had to sit behind one person at the most. But for the most part, you could walk right up there and buy whatever you want. Now, because it was so much hotter, the drink lines and the water lines were super long. Whereas, you uh -huh. know, first Stone songs, I mean, walk right up there, three bottles of water, please. You know, and that was easy. So that was That'll kind of a... $90. Yeah, that was a little interesting. It was a little different from the from the first two shows, but I decided, okay, it's just me and the little one. We're not even going to try to push anywhere yeah, yeah. up near this time. Uh -huh. She was close, relatively close for the Stone show. Let's just hang back here. Let's be in the shade. They have these big screens. The sound is great. They have the sound hooked up very well. So if you're over 100 yards away, get like 140 yards away, and the sound hits you perfectly. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and eventually we found just a good spot to hang out in. She could dance a little bit. I could sit there and bop my head. We could watch the screen to see them well, and uh, and it was a it was a really neat. It was a cool show. It was very mellow. It wasn't huge rock and roll, even though it was a lot more upbeat than a lot of the Stones stuff. And maybe the crowd was skewed a little bit younger, maybe a decade younger or something like that. Still, uh, it was a very chill evening for us. Interesting, because they do have some pretty upbeat songs. Now, uh, I know you've played a lot of rock music for your daughter. I mean, mm. was Duran Duran in there? Like, did she know any of these songs? Yeah, because one of my favorite stations on the Echo that that I play is like '80s New Wave. You know, okay, you, you tell her say play '80s New Wave or whatever, and and you'll hear Duran Duran in there and a lot of the stuff that we grew up on in the kind of the early MTV era. Uh, but sometimes I'll just play Duran Duran because I know everybody likes it. You know, uh -huh. I mean, my wife likes it. The kid can hop around to it. I still, you know, like all those old songs. What's interesting about Duran Duran is just the fact that their catalog is so much bigger than I really know it to be. Right. I mean, right. We, we talked about this. We did a Duran Duran show at number 23. And we talked about basically Duran Duran is the 80s for us. And that mm -hmm. greatest hits decade that's awesome, and that's what Duran Duran were. The Wedding album came out while we were in college, and it was kind of like a big comeback for them, right? Right. And it was like, you know, they had Ordinary World and Come On Done on there. It's like, oh, hey, Duran Duran's back. Hey, good for them. We didn't buy the album because we were going down that hard rock and roll path. Correct. But we would still listen to Decade after the beers were flowing for a while because... <laughs> 
because that's just a great, you know, it's a great record. And plus, you know, it had View to a Kill, which was only on the James Bond soundtrack. And, you know, it had Wild Boys, which was only on Arena and stuff like that. So it was, uh, it, it, you know, it's still a great, their run in the 80s is, uh, you really can't deny the impact that Duran Duran had on the 80s. Well, that was the thing when we did that show about them. I, I, I mean, I, I was a fan. I remember it. But then doing research, they were the closest thing that we in our generation had to the Beatles. Like, I didn't realize that right. that there was a scene where they were in a limo and there were people like jumping up and down in the limo and they flashed the inside and they were like, what's going to happen if they get into this car? Like, th- their popularity was insane. All of them had a an image Mm-hmm. So you could kind of you could kind of pick your favorite in the band, other than some other bands at the time where there was just kind of one. Right. I mean, no offense to the police, but it was pretty much just Sting, right? And, you know, and the two other guys. If you if you were just a casual fan, there were I there were pictures I remember people had like it was pretty much like older. Like if I had a friend and he had an older sister and she right, had right. posters up on the wall, but they would always have a favorite in the band. Oh, you know, my favorite's John or my favorite's Simon or whatever. Oh, okay, so they really had a marketing blitz. And they had this. They had the songs to back it up. I mean, like you said, we'd sit there in college, and it was like, yeah, you know, you're getting into the ACDC, and mm-hmm. yeah, you're listening to a little something else, Guns and now you're a couple of beers. Yeah, now yeah. it's like, let's throw on a little Duran Duran. Duran Duran, let's even get the girls to come down the hall. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely true. Yeah, no, and I was, I was just telling that to my wife, and like you, and and um, the Wolf Cup before we went to the show. I'm like, you can't understand the impact and the influence that Duran Duran had on pop culture and pop music in 82, 83, 84, Mm -hmm. it it couldn't have been any bigger. Uh, And I was also thinking, I'm really glad that the the wife didn't come so she never really got a good look at John Taylor. Uh, So she wouldn't, she wouldn't be talking all night. Like that bass player was cute. Like, I don't (laughs) want to hear that for three, four days. What was his name again? Hmm. But no, you're right. And the thing is, they had the boy band good looks, but they weren't a boy band. They weren't some right. contrived architecture of, okay, we'll get one that looks like this. We'll get one that looks like this. We'll dress them like this. This one's hair will look like this. That's something that they all did themselves. They found each other. They made their own original music. And then they rode this amazing wave called MTV right to the bank, man. And it, it couldn't have been bigger. I mean, the... the the videos they did for Rio, mm-hmm. unbelievable, especially at the time. Just unbelievable. Going to, where did they go, man? Belize or something crazy like that? Bermuda? They also went to Sri Lanka? I mean, you know. I think they were, I think they were in Sri Lanka. And that, was, and that was a lot due to your friend and mine, Mr. Russell Mulcahy. Right. Who I think they were on a break. They were going from point A to point B. They were in Sri Lanka. And he said, hey, this is really interesting looking terrain let's shoot some videos here and i think that turned into hungry like the wolf right save a prayer were all filmed on that break and those are the ones that really pushed them over the top and made them this international phenomenon because they were selling this very sexy lifestyle look at us we 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 go to these exotic places there's always these exotic women and mm-hmm. you know popping in and out of the videos they were wearing super high-end uh fashionable clothing right it looks a little silly now but back then trust me it was very high fashion so it was like wow these guys are really they're they're out there doing it they're jet setting they're they're embodying the 80s you know what everybody wanted to be in the 80s 
Yeah, well, we'll get into the fashion as we get into the show here. Okay. Uh, that's for sure. But no, you're right. And it wasn't like they were unobtainable, right? Like right. you see David Lee Roth with the, you know, yellow mane and the, the ripped abs. And I'm like, and hairy chest. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm never going to be that guy. Like doing kai kicks and stuff. I can't do that. <laughs> you know, but you see these guys. There's some skinny white guys with cool hair and fashionable clothes. I'm like, I am a haircut. And a, a shopping trip away from being one of these Duran Duran guys, you know. It's, I'm a skinny white guy. I could do this, you know. This is not impossible, you know. I, this is this is attainable, you know. So uh, yeah, it, the image was just huge for guys and girls. I mean, I, I remember I, I did have a Duran Duran poster at some point, and I had a buddy come over, and he was like smacking their face. Like, oh, this guy sucks, man. Oh, this guy sucks, man. I'm like, what's the matter with you? He's like, oh, there are chicks like them. I'm like. Yeah, but they make great music. They're the best band of our generation, right? I mean, this is this is why you watch MTV, you know? It's not to watch Billy Joel, you know? I mean, it, great as he is, it, you don't want to watch his videos. You want to watch the Duran Duran videos, dude. And it always seemed like they were trying to top themselves to push it farther. And then the, the big, I don't even want to say it was controversy, but the big deal when that arena record came out was the single Wild Boys, which right. it looks like they started with. And I, I don't remember what the, the fee was or what the, the total, but apparently it was it was the most expensive video ever shot at that point in time. And it was a zillion dollars, a big production piece. Yeah. And uh, it, I think they had they had been away for a little while. And so the, the, this came out and this kind of re-energized them again. And it, it was big. It was on every I don't know, third video or something when it once they dropped it. Yeah, I, I, I could be wrong, but I mean, I think like Rio was the huge success, both from the songs and the videos. Yeah. And then Seven and the Ragged Tiger, it was successful, but I don't think it was quite what Rio was. And, and I think maybe they were a little worn out at mm -hmm. that point. You can kind of see in like the New Moon on Monday video, uh, it's, 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 it, they look like they're just kind of going through the motions a little bit at that <laughs> point, you know? And, and look, their schedule's crazy. Like, you know, they're in Australia to Sri Lanka to the Caribbean, back to Europe, no. back to a tour of America. I mean, it sounds exciting, yeah, but it can really drain you. So, no, but you're right. The Wild Boys video with Laban on the windmill going mm -hmm. in the water, I think that was Mulcahy or Mulcai, I think they call him over here, again, okay. doing that one. And, and yeah, it was a, I thought that was an interesting way to start the set, to be honest with you. I mean, you got to start with something. You're going to start with something classic from the 80s. Uh -huh. Okay. And, you know, it's got Roger on his, his – his drum kit, by the way, is still very electronic. Like, it's not like okay. he, it's not like he went over to, like, a traditional drum and they mic'd it so it sounded electronic. No, it's, it's still very electronic, so it makes those sounds that you're used to in Duran Duran songs. But that doo -doo 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 -doo, wow, boys. And, you know, Nick is singing back up a little bit. John generally doesn't stand in a microphone. But Simon comes over and shares the mic. They just kind of point up and get their mugs next to each other so John can sing some backup. Okay. It's kind of the way it works. But yeah, they, they come out with Wild Boys and, I'm, and, and the crowd started bumping. You know, it's, it's not like they don't know these songs. They know all of these songs, you know. Uh -huh. To come out with a classic like Wild Boys, it really started the night going. All those middle-aged women are starting to loosen up. You know, the hips start moving around a little bit. You know, they start moving. You know, Wolf Cub kind of knew that one. She started hopping a little bit. Well, she still had an ice cream for the first two songs, you know. <laughs> I got her an ice cream right before the show started. He's like, all right, I want you to cool off and be ready for the show. So Wild Boys comes on. She's still there. You know, just licking the ice cream. All right. But uh, but no, I, I liked it. But I did think it was kind of an odd choice 
to start with because it is, I don't know, it is a little stark. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, and it's not super, I shouldn't say it's super, not, not rhythmic because obviously those drums make it rhythmic, but they, I don't know, there's something about an odd beat to it. I, I just thought it was an interesting choice. Now, did they do the thing where, because I've, I've seen them open before with this song, where they, they play the intro a couple of times, that drum intro, you know, they kind of have the bass drum bump, bump, and then, you know, okay, everybody get up, ooh, and then they yeah. play the, the bump, 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 and then they'll go back to the bass drum and then play it again. I don't know. I think it's, they kind of use that to, to get the crowd moving. You're Whereas, right. It, you know, kind of ease you into it. Whereas, I, it, I mean, what else would you want to start with? Like Hungry Like the Wolf, that kind of goes quick. So it's like, yeah. wait, what are we doing here? You kind of want to warm them up a little bit first before we go on the ride. You know, I was I was kind of thinking like something like Girls on Film or something like that. You start off, you hear the photos clicking, ching, ching, oh, yeah. ching. Like, oh, that would be a cool way to start it off. Yeah. But, but they did get to that and we'll do that. Now, the fact of the matter is, I don't think Simon's voice was warmed up all the way till about the third song. It's not like he sounded bad or anything like that, but it sounded like in some parts, you know, he was kind of cut short a little bit or he wasn't really all the way there yet. He, I felt like he had to belt out a few and maybe clear some cobwebs or something like that before he got to like the fourth song. And I was like, okay, he he sounds great now. You know, he's good to go now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But dude, so I saw a documentary, I think it was on the BBC about them. And they, and it was Nick Rhodes talking about, you know, we were all so colorful and everything in the eighties. And then in the last few decades, we all got to be like afraid of color. And like so many rock bands of their age, they basically wore black on stage, you know, okay, because it thins them and it, you know, it shows how cool they are. But I'm like, I don't care. I mean, that's never who Duran Duran were, you know, they should be brightly colored. So they come out and I'm, I'm 150 yards if I'm one inch away from the stage. I, I might be 200 <laughs> yards. I'm not sure. But without the use of the t- screen, I can see Nick Rhodes because he has a day glow yellow suit. Like like the kind, like when you will highlight stuff in yeah. your textbook, like it's uh-huh. that yellow with a, <laughs> with a pink shirt underneath it. Like you could see him from space. You could not miss him, you know. And LeBon had on like these Dayglow aquamarine pants with mm-hmm. like, a, I think it was a green jacket and then a black shirt with some aquamarine on it to kind of make his pants pop, I guess, you know. And then Taylor had a lot on. He he had a red jacket and he also had a black hoodie. And I'm like, dude, it's 80 degrees. You couldn't be cold. And you got um, the lights and you've you know, got the, you're, you're running around on stage. Yeah, And the sun was on him. Maybe the sun had not set yet, you know. Yeah. Because I'll tell you, after the sun set, all of a sudden a breeze came in. And everything cooled off by a good five degrees. Like, ah, okay, now this is nice, you know. Like, my, my daughter's rolling her sleeves back down. It's like, okay, yeah, this is, this is cooling off. But I don't think he ever took that stuff up. Roger was in a little bit of black, but he had some color on his shirt. He's just back there working, you know. He's just back there yeah. doing his thing, not drawing attention to himself, just back there doing his thing. Plus, they had a saxophonist and two Foxy backup singers who we'll talk about here in a little bit. But all right, so they go into the next song. Number two was Invisible, which is their latest single mm-hmm. off their new album. Which is what is it? Their seventeenth? Is their eighteenth? I don't know. I don't even know how many records they made, man. Something like that. And and then then that goes back to what we've talked about before. With it, it's great to see a band like this not just doing a greatest hits tour. They're still mm-hmm. putting music out. They still want to be creative 
and put put new stuff on the market. Absolutely, you know, and we were talking about that both at, at your show and for the you know so the shows I've been going to. It just you know you're a real band if you just keep going. You you, you don't quit, you know, mm-hmm. and and they've been doing this for a long time. And Invisible A it fit in well with the set, but B it sounded really good. And you could tell the band was psyched to it. Simon's voice hopped up for it. And people were psyched because, you know, they, they're excited to have a new Duran Duran album out after, you know, so long and excited to see these new songs. So I, it, it went down very well. And it didn't like Future Past is the name of the record. It, it didn't like slow down the, the, the vibe or anything. You know, everybody was, was pretty psyched for Excellent. And and we were talking about that on the Def Leppard show. It, it's cool when the new stuff fits in. Mm-hmm. Like you don't think, well, what is this? This doesn't sound like anything else. I don't like this. If it just rolls all together, that's that's great. And that's the mark of a of a song that even though it's new now, it'll probably be around for a while. And I know that they were really excited about it. Do you know, I'm just trying to look here. Do you know off the top of your head, is that a Nile Rodgers? Oh yeah, Nile Rodgers, you know? absolutely. Yeah, he's their producer. I think it I'm is. Yeah. Fairly certain he played guitar because you know they, they officially don't have a guitar player in the band. They do have a guy who plays with him. His name's yeah. Dominic or Dom Brown, and he's very good. Uh, and he had his own... I think he had a pink suit on himself. You know, every, everybody's got to stand out and, and be mm-hmm. bright colors there. But but yeah, I mean, in the studio, I'm pretty sure Nile Rogers is the guitar player, which is is pretty nice. Yeah, I think he's pretty much the go-to. Like they just realize everything Duran Duran sounds better with Nile at the helm these days. Absolutely. Hey, this is Tom and Zeus from Shout It Out Loudcast. And you are listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. But sorry, so then they're about to go into their third song and they start, you hear the James Bond music. And then on the big screens, you see, you know, Roger Moore walking out, you know, turn around, you know, firing yeah. into the eye. I'm like, they're going to do a view, don't kill. And then Simon Bond, just a little preview of what's to come. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, wait, did, did Nick Rhodes fire that off at the wrong moment? Is that was that supposed to happen right there? Did Nick kind of screw that up? You know, I don't because then they go into All of You, which is a new song, and and I didn't really know it, and it was fine, you know. And I was talking to my daughter, and I don't even really know this one. She's like, yeah, it's okay, whatever. Uh, and then right afterwards, and there it goes again, like. Okay, now it's View to a Kill. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. I think that might have been the wrong keystroke on uh-huh. the uh, the Mac. Because, yeah, why would you do that? <laughs> Just a little teeth. Yeah, no, he screwed that up. Yeah, you can play I, the I, opening I, chords of Hungry Like the Wolf and then play that a half an hour later? I don't think yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, it was awesome. Yeah, it, it's 
I forgot how big that that single was when it came out. That was like the only, or maybe it was the maybe it was the first number one since like Goldfinger mm-hmm. for for a James Bond franchise. That was a huge record, and it was the last one they all did together. I think up until what was that like 2004? They did that astronaut, right? Record. They all got back together. That for, was that, that was the last. That was this was the last hurrah for the original cast. That's interesting. I had forgotten that. Yeah, but I remember View to a Kill was Roger Moore's last James Bond picture, but it was the first one I ever saw in the theater. Me too. Yeah, because for your eyes only, I was just too young. They did Never Say Never. I think maybe in between there, but because that was it was kind of done without the broccolis. It was done kind of right. Somebody won a lawsuit and they got Sean Connery into it or whatever, but. Uh, but View to a Kill was the first one I was like excited to go. Like I could go with my dad, who's this big James Bond fan, and I was psyched to hear View to a Kill, which right. I mean, I love Live and Let Die by Paul McCartney, but I got I in my personal opinion, View to a Kill is the best James Bond theme song they've ever done. I would agree. And and I was in the same boat. Like I had seen James Bond movies, you know, on TV or you know, on VHS or whatever. But yeah, that was the first one that that I got to see in the theater and I was psyched. And it was, you know, I could definitely look past the fact that Roger Moore was probably 60 something. But he still <laughs> looked good, you know. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And and I yeah, my I feel like my mom was gonna let dad take me to go see Octopussy. So it was just because of the name, <laughs> right? So so I mean View to a Kill was my first one. But see, and and this could be a whole nother show too. But to me, Roger Moore is a fantastic James Bond. I know everybody says, uh, you know, Sean Connery's the best. And if you want to say who's the best actor, I say, okay, you're right. Sean Connery has done more and had greater range. And I love his non-James Bond movies. But I really only saw Roger Moore as James Bond. And he was in all the ones that I watched growing up. And he was very much a gentleman. He always looked good. Yes, he was older. Because he and Sean are about the same age, I think. So, you know, he comes after him. Yeah, he's going to be a little bit older in some of those pictures. He's not, you know, doing all his own stunts or anything like that. But I just thought he was super suave. You know, Tanya Roberts was super foxy. And Chris Walken's one of the best bad guys, you know, not just for James Bond, but just like in movie history, you know. So I, I just remember View to a Kill being so big part of my life. And it's a lot of it's because Duran Duran was in it. Yeah, I would I would agree with you on that. I I don't know. I think I would have been excited for James Bond period mm-hmm. at that point in time it, to get to see one that was new. But yes, having Duran Duran in there uh, really pushed it over the edge. And I know the video played into the beginning scene of the movie. They they intercut. They were in the Eiffel Tower, I believe, in the movie. And then they cut to the band in the Eiffel Tower. And they weren't there at the same time, but they kind of made it seem like it was part of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting. And it, and it tied the two together. Yeah, and it was. And people, everybody went off. Everybody's like, woo, yeah. They were dancing. Yeah. They were loving View to a Kill. They were, yeah. they were psyched about it. All right, so now next... What was what was cool was you know you know me I don't go to a lot of opening acts anymore unless I I really like them already mm-hmm. or I'm dying to see them, and on a day when I was like just getting the girls back from the states and it was hot I'm like I'm not going to an opening act we're gonna get in there kind of as late as we can and we'll stay for the show as as long as my my daughter can take it but. If there was any opening act I really wanted to see, it was this night because Nile Rodgers and Sheik 
open for Duran Duran. Ah, okay. And apparently he's opening for them. They're doing some dates like August, September in the States, mm-hmm. like 14, 15 dates. And, and Niall and Sheik are opening for them as well. You know, and, like, and that makes sense. You know, they, they kind of go together pretty well. So when they do Notorious, Niall comes out on stage. And okay. he plays Notorious with him. And he looked super cool, dude. He is so <laughs> awesome. He's in great shape. He's got the long braids down his back. He's got the hat on. Mm-hmm. He was dressed in all white. And he had his guitar and, and doing that, that Nile Rogers kind of shake thing that is the kind of yeah. chug that he's got there. Of course, he, I mean, he, he produced Notorious back in the day, did he not? I believe he did. Yeah. I think, I think the, the, story as i remember it is that they had they had finished seven and the ragged tiger Mm -hmm. they had finished the reflex was going to be the first single Mm -hmm. and they weren't they were like "Eh, eh, eh, i don't know i don't know about this there's something missing they they somehow were at an event or a function or something with nile rogers and they said hey can you just can you just take a look at this? Can you mm-hmm. just listen to this and say, and he went in there and did some tweaks to it. And then they said, this is it. And this is our guy. And I think from then on, it was pretty much like anything they do. He's involved. I don't yeah. know. I didn't, I can't, I can't tell in front of me right now if he's produced everything, but I'm 99% sure he's at least had his hand in everything Duran Duran since that point in time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and- He's acted as their guitar player. I mean, except for maybe Astronaut because Andy Taylor was back for that. Yeah. But it still wouldn't shock me if he laid down a few tracks here or there or gave him, you know, somewhere to go. You I, know I, I was mean? thinking the same thing too. I mean, I don't know at that point in time how focused Andy was. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, no, it, it was cool. And, and like you said, he looks like a rock star. Yeah. Like even if you didn't know who he was, he's like, who is that dude? Yeah, you're right. With he's always dressed well. He's got the he's got the long rock star hair, mm-hmm. and he's got that smile on his yes. face all the time. That you're just like. Man, this guy just looks like he's having the time of his friggin' life he's all the cooler time. Cooler than a fan, man. Like yeah. all the time. Yeah. Uh, and it was between Notorious and Pressure Off that he said, "You know what? I think tonight we go ahead and make it official." Now Rogers is an official member of Duran Duran. I'm like, yeah. I mean, you should. You owe wow. a lot okay. to him. You know. Yeah. You 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 owe. I mean, you guys are rich and successful, but I bet he's as wealthy as all of you put together. To be honest well, with you, what I didn't what I didn't realize either there was a lot of stuff that that both he and Bernard from Chic did not really behind the scenes but kind of behind the scenes like a lot of those big Robert Palmer hits mm-hmm. from the late seventies early eighties they wrote produced and I remember thinking like that's not a Robert Palmer song that's a Chic song I mean right. he, all he did was show up and sing they did all the heavy lifting so yeah I th- to to your point yeah I think he's got a lot like if you went and looked at the producer credits oh my god it, oh yeah. And you did that too? And you did that? Well, yeah. I mean, okay, cool. He told a great story on the Rock on Tours about how he he wrote and produced I'm Coming Out for Diana Ross, which was yes. a huge hit for her. But she was nervous about it because, you know, I'm Coming Out certainly has these gay theme, right. you know, undertones for it. And there's already a lot of female impersonators going around as Diana Ross. And in the 70s, it was still pretty taboo to the general public and she's like i gotta be aware of my image and i don't want it to be about that he's like no 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 that's that's not what it's about you know every night bernard will come to me and be like all right man what are we coming out to tonight like because we need something to start the show off right to kick it off to get things going so this could be your song to walk out on stage i'm coming and that's you know and that's how he sold it to her (laughs) well and then okay and so then you say well then what do we what do we need to do to kind of kick this 
make this different. What's the dead? Well, we could have some funky drums on there. Well, I know a guy that can play the funky drums for you, Mr. Tony Thompson. And so, yeah, again, is that, is that a Diana Ross song or is that a chic song? Because they wrote it, produced it, played on it. Right. And, and when you listen to that drum, like that's phenomenal. No, I know it is. Yeah. It's, it's all, it's all good. And the fact that they didn't let chic into the rock and roll hall of fame, but they just made a special exception. Like, well, look, now Rogers has to be it. Like, Sheik was right. up and they, they got nominated and they came down a finalist. And everyone's like, nope, they're not rock and roll. Nope, they didn't have enough hits on their own. Nope, blah, blah, blah. And then finally, somebody said, okay, you can't keep now Rogers out. So, special contributor now Rogers. Yeah. But, but obviously, Tony and Bernard had a lot to do with, with his success as well. Right. Um, so, the second song he did with them is called Pressure Off, which I really didn't know. It's from one of their later day albums, Paper Gods, another one that Okay. He, he did with them. So I, I didn't really know that one. And then they, you know, they kissed and hugged, they sent him off the stage. And then they went into Union of the Snake, which was I always loved that song back in the day off Seven and the Ragged Tiger. It was it was one I loved when I was a kid. And it had, it's got a really cool uh intro that that bump, 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 and then it goes into the the bass groove and mm-hmm. and that one had a really cool kind of like post-apocalyptic what's going on video where they're wandering around the, i think it was actually it was simon and john that are walking around in the desert mm-hmm. and there's like some kind of like creature thing is falling so again it was like you could watch it on mtv and say wow this is a really i like the song but i really like the video too mm-hmm. and you know again like what I don't even know what he's talking about. And I think that we, we talked about this on the, on the Duran Duran show. There's a lot of lyrics that are almost nonsensical. So it's like, you, it's, so they age really well. Right. I'm like, wait, like, I don't even know what's happening here, but I like the groove. I like the, the, I like the beats on this thing. I like the vocals. I don't really know what he's saying. And they've got a really cool video. So yeah, I can listen to it over and over and over again. And I've said this before, John Taylor is awfully funky for a white boy on that bass, man. I mean, sometimes he's plucking it. Sometimes he's thumping it. Sometimes he's up and down and grooving on it, but like, he's, he's on it, man. I don't know how he learned to be like that, but he's on it. He is definitely underrated. I think that I think the problem for these guys were that they were too good looking. Mm-hmm. So that kind of took center stage, but they really are great musicians. And I've said this before, I'm gonna say it again. If you like John Taylor, go to YouTube and watch those Stone Groove Bass Odyssey videos that he did during quarantine. Yep. They're phenomenal. And and a lot of these songs or actually probably most of these songs it's the bass that's really carrying this and it's really funky and andy taylor was kind of a guy who would just kind of pepper the -hmm. song like he the guitar wasn't driving it he just kind of put it in where it needed to be and that's the difference between duran duran and basically every band that we've loved or gravitated to or or become beholden by is Uh most all our bands are guitar driven often two guitars yeah, you want to put keyboards in there, that's great. But even prog bands like Genesis in Yes that have these maestros on the keyboards, they still have these masterful guitar players, right? Right. And, and that's kind of what it's all about, whereas he's just putting in a little flavor, a little color here, you know, that fits in with the groove of what Roger and John are laying down, really. And it's Nick mm-hmm. Rhodes is driving the uh, the uniqueness of the song, I guess, mm-hmm. is, is his tone and, and what he's doing. At least that's the way I always of them yeah and they all kind of fit together well it, it wasn't it didn't seem like there was ever a like a duran duran signature like it had to be one way or the other sometimes it was the keyboard sometimes it was the bass they just kind of put it all together to make a song that that fit in with everything else that they were doing yeah 
Yeah, and they they've done it for decades now, so some, something's working, you know. Yeah. All right. After you need the snake, they do come undone, which kind of brings it down a little bit, right? Who do you need? Who do you love? You know, it was big thirty years ago, but I mean, yeah. pe- people dug it, you know, uh, that's for sure. Then they went to a song called "Give It All Up," which I did not know. It, again, it's from the the new album, the Future Past okay. album. So it's like, yeah, okay, do it. Uh, you know, have fun. Um, the girls are starting to get into this. I was really psyched. They have this beautiful foxy woman named Anna Ross uh, who's been with them for years now mm-hmm. as a backup singer. She does some of her own stuff as well. But, I mean, being a Duran Duran's backup singer has got to pay the bills pretty well. Just a, just a foxy, hot uh, black woman. And I was, like, really psyched to see her. And they usually had another black girl with her, but they've got this girl, Rachel O'Connor, who's younger. I mean, she's got to be early to mid-20s maybe. White okay. girl, I guess she was on like The Voice or something like that over okay. here as a teenager or, or something like that, and that's that's kind of how she started her career. Again, she has some singles and records of her own, but but you get a gig like playing with Duran Duran, that's huge. And she was a little bit more 2.0, like yeah, she can get out there and dance. She's a little athletic. She could strut out there, and they, they kind of gave because to me, Anna is the one. And then the, whoever's with her, she can do the backup. But they really kind of gave Rachel a, a chance to shine and get out there and strut a little bit and sing with Simon, maybe even a little more than Anna did. That was a little surprising to me. Hmm. Interesting. I yeah. wonder how she feels about that. Maybe they're they're maybe they're switching things up, or maybe they're looking for a new direction to take. I don't them. know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go in a direction away from Anna. I think she's amazing, but you know, that's just me. And it's not like Rachel wasn't good. She, she was great. And yeah, it, you know, and she had on a sparkly, you know, glitter top to kind of add in. Cause Anna generally dresses like all in black and she looks hot doing it. But, but you know, but Rachel was trying to, you know, jazz it up a little bit. Anyway, it was right at the time of give it all up that I started to get hungry because I made sure I fed the wolf cub before we went, but I didn't really feed myself. So now it's getting to be nine o'clock. I'm like, all right, I got to go eat. So we go get in line to get a burger, which was fairly short, but they cook them to order. So it was taking a while. And I'm like, if there's one song I got to see, it's Hungry Like the Wolf, right? Because I'm the wolf. And as far as I know, that was the first, well, it was the it was the first video off Rio that I remember seeing. See, I'm confused now. Would you say that at that point in time, you were in fact hungry like the wolf? Yes, exactly. And I missed watching Hungry Like the Wolf oh. because I was in line because oh. I was hungry. <laughs> I mean, I can still see one of the screens pretty well, but I was joking to my daughter and the woman in line. Like, it's it's ironic that I'm missing Hungry Like the Wolf because I got hungry and had to come get a burger. <laughs> but then they had these picnic tables, so we actually sat down and, and watched them do Friends of Mine. Again, not a song that I was familiar with, even though I guess it's off the first record. I don't really remember it. I mean, I remember having the cassette and listening to huh. listening to it a little bit back and forth, but I don't remember that song very well. And then they went into Ordinary World, yeah, which obviously I know, and, and that was a big one from when we were in college. But it was at that point that Simon took a break, you know, to talk about the people in the Ukraine and how okay. you know, how lucky we are and how it's not that far away. And so when they go up on the screen, the screen instead of having them in color or having the black and white or sepia. They kind of had the blue and yellow flag waving over mm. them as they did Ordinary World, you know. Uh, and so that was that was a nice tribute. Plus, the, you know, I mean, the girls had their, their cell phones out. It used to be their lighters with their cell phones out, you know, to, <laughs> you know, to, to kind of hold up in the air there. And everybody was, was excited about it. So I'm like, all right, 
They're doing fine. Now, I'm sure if we were down in front, people would have been dancing and going nuts. But we're way in the back, mm. just kind of chilling out, just trying to keep her safe. It's a chill night. I don't need to be all the way down there. So when they get to something like Tonight United, that's actually a new song, but it's kind of upbeat. You know, it's more of a dance track, you know, and the, mm. and the girls were out like strutting their stuff during that. And I'm like, that's cool. I, I, I bet we're getting close to the end for my daughter here. Who's, she's got to be getting tired. Like, and they played a lot more new songs than I thought they would. I mean, they could play stuff from their catalog that I don't know that's 20, 25 years, 15 years old, right? Right. So I'm like, I figured there's going to be songs that I'm not that familiar with. I didn't know they were going to do so many new ones mm. off the new album. But when they got into Planet Earth, I'm like, yes, Planet Earth, man. Now this is the stuff right here. This would have been a great song to open with, Planet Earth. Yeah, yeah, because it has that, it has that, intro that you can play and get everybody psyched up and i remember this one i this was off technically it was off the first record but i think they re-released oh wait no that was that was um please please tell me now yeah right is there something i should know something i should know um that was the one that was re-released this one i remember i remember listening to the rio stuff and then hearing this and mm. thinking, wow, wait, this I missed this one. This was really good. Yeah, it's a great song. I mean, when you think of like 80s new wave, somebody had never heard it. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about, 80s new wave. You put on Planner, it, that is the sound of 80s <laughs> <new wave. laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. No, I, I remember that very well. No, yeah, it was, I think it was after Rio they released, Is There Something I Should Know? Partly black and white, partly with the red ball bouncing around. Yeah. But you're right in that, I think it was a single over here, as it was in the States, but they put it on. They put oh, it on the right. first cassette, right. you know. Yeah, and they ditched. Yeah. I, we we talked about that on our show. I can't remember. Yeah, what that's they took right. Off, now, it, but yeah, that, that's what they did. Yeah, and then and they did the band intros, and that was interesting just to kind of see what the pecking order really is, you know, mm-hmm. because they have they they announced they they introduced the sax player, they introduced the girls, mm-hmm. uh, they introduced Don Brown on the guitar. And then, of course, it's Roger Taylor, who did right. leave the band for a while, and he is the right. drummer, right? Then it's Nick Rhodes, mm-hmm. and John Taylor second to last. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that just shows you who really is up there, you know? Right. And I, I think he is in control. I mean, Simon is, too. I always figured it was Nick to some degree, and I, I know that it is, but I think John Taylor is, is the one who's... One of the people really kind of pushing the band all these years. I think so, yeah. And I think that was that was one of the big problems when Andy Taylor came back is I think he forgot what a taskmaster John is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, hey, it's all good. You know, I kind of just got, no, 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 dude. I need you to be 100%. I need you to play this for me right now to make sure he to make sure that you can go out and do this every night. And I think he is the, even though it, it's, it's a kind of a weird dynamic too, because he's the bass player. And most mm-hmm. times it's the, it's the singer and the guitarist who right. run the band. Yeah. I think you're right. He's definitely the majority or the kind of the captain of the ship. Kind of. Yeah. And, and when something's not right, I think he's pretty vocal about it because yeah. I, I, I saw in a documentary, like he was, he wasn't going off, but he's like, no, this was wrong. You did it wrong. You know, it messed mm-hmm. up the thing. And then the, he noticed the camera was on him. He's like, like, yeah, I, I don't want you looking at me while I'm doing this, you know, right. Right. And, and, and I think it was, and I, I'm, I'm remembering that now too. And I think it was, I think it was with Simon and he was like, yeah, you need to like sing that again or something. And he's like, you know what? I'm tired of this and I'm tired of your attitude. And yeah, it was one of those, like, look at the camera, like, Oh, you just saw mommy and daddy fighting. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Moving on now. But, but, to, to keep something like this going for so long at such a high level, you have to have somebody like that. You have to have somebody that's going to tell you, no, this is crap. We need to be at this level. Right. You need to be at a 10. 
you're at like a seven right now. If you think that's okay, you're wrong. Yeah, that won't cut I it. Am, right. Yeah. In front of, you know, how many people do you think were at this concert? 80,000. Yeah. It's, that's not going to, that's not going to fly in front of 80,000 people. It has to be perfect every time. Yeah. Yeah. And he did introduce himself and I'm Simon Lebon. It's French. <laughs> now that's interesting because usually they have they have somebody do all that and then like we talked about like you know ronnie will introduce usually Mick. will introduce mick jagger mm-hmm. you know they usually have somebody else i'm surprised that john didn't introduce simon but okay yeah yeah well i mean if simon won't give him the microphone and he doesn't have one of his own <laughs> <laughs> he has to do it himself I suppose. <laughs> they're fighting for it no it's my microphone all right, so Planet Earth was great, great visuals and stuff like that um, on the big screens. And then you hold back the rain from Rio, a little bit of a deep track. That was never a single or close no. to it. That was not, I mean, I knew the song because I listened to the tape so many times, but I was a little surprised they played that one. Yeah, I don't, I don't, as far as that goes, I don't know what to tell you on that because there was a song off of Rio, The Chauffeur, mm-hmm. that was, I had never heard before, but apparently it was huge in Europe and they had a video for it and everything. So I really don't know what they did outside the United States as far as releasing tracks off that record. Well, that's, I, I don't know if it was a single or if they're just saying, Hey, you know, we, right. we, we always do three or four songs off of Rio. So mm-hmm. and then there's three, we have to do, right. You have to do Rio. You have to do hungry like the wolf and, and you ought to do save a prayer because it's, it's an amazing song. Right. So if, if you're going to do four, okay, well then you've got another six or seven to choose from outside of those three. And maybe they rotate them in and out, you know, on different tours. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but I, I, I was surprised. And I was a little surprised at the stage of the show in which they played it. it I, I would have thought that would have been maybe an early one that they mixed in with some of the new ones, but okay. uh, I mean, it's a classic. Yes, but it's not a huge hit. Yeah, yeah. that is an interesting choice. Because I wonder too, how many, I mean, if it's new, I can see people saying, oh yeah, I just heard this, you know, it came up on my Apple music or whatever mm-hmm. as new, a new track. But yeah, something from 1982, 81, 82, whenever that came out, would that really come up? Probably not. So yeah. How many people had not heard that song before? I don't yeah. Know. But it went down well. And then they went in and the place went off. And look, I'm like, I know this is getting to be the end of the road for me, right? So I'm like, all right, honey, I hope you're having fun. She because I played the reflex for her a few times and yeah. she started dancing all over the place. <laughs> She's hopping around and spinning around I'm like, wow, look at you go. All right, how about this? I thought I'd be carrying you out of here at this point. And here she is hopping around to the reflex, which I mean I re- I remember when that came out because there were a couple different versions. There was a single edit version and there was a remix version. Um, there was the, the album version. And so it was, and I, back then I couldn't get every single version, you know, right? like maybe I could now. Uh, but I, I just remember I loved that song. The girls were strutting out to it and, and it like, this is this is fun. This is what Duran Duran's about. Again, the lights were all over the place. It was a big production, and, and and the crowd went off. And I'm like, all right, this is this is a great way to kind of end it, at least mm-hmm. end it for me, because I'm like, all right, I gotta <laughs> I gotta get back home, right? But she was having a blast at that point. I'm like, because it was about four songs earlier or three songs earlier, maybe before they did Planet Earth or something like that. I said, listen, they'll do the reflex. And then we can go. And she goes, okay, okay, daddy. Because like, he's like, all right, I, I can survive two or three more songs or whatever. Right. They play the reflex. She loves it. She starts hopping around like, you ready to go? She kind of gives me that look. I'm like, okay, you want to <laughs> stay for one more song? She's like, yeah, one more song, one more song. I'm like, all right. 
And the next song is White Lines Don't Don't Do It, which is not a song that I was familiar with. It's a Grandmaster Melly Mel song that I guess they have done. And, uh, well, a lot of people in the crowd seem to know it pretty well. So I guess that was some kind of hit over here that we weren't privy to in the U.S. Okay. Yeah. Because they seemed to know the lyrics and they, they were hopping around. And, you know, the, the Wolf Cup didn't like that one as much. But she was I think she was still happy to be there, happy to be at a show kind of thing. Uh-huh. But when you're talking about White Lines, I'm like, yeah, I know what White Lines are. And I hope they, she can't really pick up the lyrics on this one. But now they're saying, don't, don't do it. So yeah. you're saying, to, what? Yeah, exactly. It's just, yes, exactly. Just ignore that song altogether. <laughs> Strike that from the record. And then, and then to round out the set, then they go into girls on film with the, the camera clicking uh-huh. and stuff like that. I'm like, oh yeah, this is a good one. This is a classic one. And remember they had two versions of the video back in the day? What? What are you saying? I would yeah. never stay up till midnight to try and see the uh, European version of this. What? On Showtime or whatever. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Now they had one they could play on MTV, and then they had one that you had to have pay cable like Showtime or something like that. Right. To see. Right. And it, it wasn't just a little bit of nudity, but it was like very sexualized, and some of it was S&M and bondage, and some of it yeah. was homoerotic. And it's like, wow, this is really <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. But yeah, um, to see that, to see that, that was like that was like the holy grail of like you saw what? Yeah, it was like twelve thirty nine. Yeah, on Showtime, and it, yeah, you had to kind of had to angle the TV maybe so that nobody knew what you were doing because yeah, that was you're right. It, it wasn't just nudity. It was there was a lot of very overtly sexual things in it, and I think they were just trying to tell you like this was the this was the lifestyle for these you know, the fashion industry. Yeah. And they're pushing the limit of what they could do and that, and that kind right. of thing. So I, I get it, you know? And, and so I knew, but I also knew that that was the last song they did before they break for the encore. So I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, we got to start walking. I mean, yeah. we can still hear it. So, and you can turn around and look at the screens as we go. It's like, we, we got to get out of here Yeah, as they did girls on film. And then it morphed into something, you know, it was acceptable in the eighties song, which, you know, obviously they, they got away with things in the eighties that you can't do today. Correct. That's a great song for them to play, you know, but so we, you just start walking out of there, getting out of there, getting out of there. I actually hated to go because a, she was feeling good. And B, the last two songs they play are two of my very, very, very mm. favorite Duran Duran songs. Now, I could still hear them because okay. it takes a while to walk out of the park. And they have all the gates blocked off, so you have to kind of filter through one of two areas. Okay. You can't just walk out like the speaker's corner or walk out to the marble arch. You have to kind of walk around for a while. So they get in to save a prayer. And yeah, I can hear it, but it's not like sitting there watching them you know, with your lighter up in the air or whatever. Right. That kind of thing. Like, this is a beautiful song. I, I love this one. She's like, well, why are we leaving? I'm like, because about 10 minutes, 80,000 people are going to be leaving. <laughs> and we're trying to catch a bus. You know, we're, we, we, don't, we don't need 80,000 people trying to get on the bus at the same time. So it's like, we got to get out of here. And then it was over kind of as if we got across the street. And then I could hear Rio going on yeah. as we were on Edgeware Road, like walking to catch the bus. And uh, But so we did hear them all. We maybe didn't see them all, but we, we heard them all. Jumped on the bus, got within two blocks, and and got home. And and of course, then she was up because you know how it is when you come home. Even if you're tired after a show, you're still wired, right? right. Yeah. Your your brain's still running. You might have a little buzz in your ears, and it's like even if like you take a shower and you lay in bed, you're not going to just fall right asleep, even if mm-hmm. you are eight. So so she was up for a while, and then you know what? I just let her sleep in the next day. She was supposed to go to soccer camp. 
I'm like, she can miss the first day of soccer camp. She's, you know, she's not the next Alex Morgan. You know, I just need her out of the house during the day, you know, and, and I can get something else for her to do, you know. So I just, I just let her sleep in. And, and she was bragging about it, too. She's like, how many other eight-year-olds took a transatlantic flight, then took a four-hour nap, then went to a Duran Duran show? I think I'm the only one. Like, it was a busy day for her, yes. Yes. So I was happy for her. And, you know, I was happy to see Duran Duran. It, it wasn't ideal to see them in such a massive place. It would be better to uh-huh. see them in an arena or something yeah. like that. They're doing th- – of their 14 dates, I think three of them are in the Hollywood Bowl and maybe two of them are in Vegas. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. seeing them there in one of those places yeah. would probably be the way to do it. Uh, or in an arena. But, you know, it was still – I always wanted to see Duran Duran ever since we were little kids. When that astronaut came out and the whole band was back together, a friend of mine and I – we'll call her J-Lo uh, – were trying to engineer a way to, to, to go see them because it's like, I don't know if they'll ever be back, all of them together again. And all five of them, you know, that didn't last that long, obviously. But the four of them are still doing it really, really well. And it was fun, you know. So it was, it's a big box check. It's kind of a lifetime achievement thing. I got to take my daughter. And so now she's been to two KISS shows, The Who at Wembley. And the Stones and Duran Duran at High Park. So she's she's ahead of the curve. All by eight years old. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But yeah, you were talking about, you know, being amped up. After the show, I remember that because I mean, when, when we went to see Def Leppard, it was a it was a long day with a lot several rain delays. But right. I remember I'm like, oh man, it's gonna be late when we get out of here. But I remember walking out like, yeah, just being pumped up. Like, man, I can't believe we just bum bum bum. Yeah, it's kind of like you know, you kind of wanted to go back and listen to like like what was that? Um, what was the station in Orlando that used to do the replays? That was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It was 100-something. I can't remember the exact So you, exact so you would get in the car, and they were playing the – I mean, it wasn't the live tracks, but they were playing the, the same tracks in the same order. So yeah, the like studio set list, basically. Correct. Yeah. yeah. yeah that, I love that. That was awesome because you were you were reliving it. Yeah, you didn't want to – you don't want to go to bed. Um, you're lucky that – well, you kept her home, but I was lucky that it was on a – not on a school night because that would have been rough the next day. It was for me. You know, basically I got her. I slept in too. Like the wife may have had to go to the office, but I'm like, if she's sleeping in, I'm sleeping in, you know, because, you know, I get up the next day, I'm all stiff and sore and stuff like that, you know, like, and I didn't drink or anything. I mean, that's the thing, but it's so hot. I don't like to drink because I just sweat it out anyway. Plus it's just me taking care of a child. I'm like, mm-hmm. you have to be, you have to have your wits about you, you know, you need right. to stay focused. So it's like stone cold sober. And I woke up like tired and sore and groggy. And I'm like, <laughs> I might be getting too old for this. I might just be. But, you know, here's the thing. I'm looking at the dates for like August and September. It's like, unless you're in one of the huge cities, I mean, five of the 14 dates are in LA and Las Vegas, you know, and then like ones in Minneapolis. Of course, there's certainly like in New York, Chicago, those kinds. I don't know if they're doing anything in the South, maybe in Atlanta, maybe in Miami. But I, you know, I don't know that you'll even get a chance. That they'll be coming anywhere near you. Yeah, probably not. I mean, they're, they're I mean, I, I can't imagine what the draw would be here. Like, I mean, they, they're going to go to big, you know, international cities, like you said, Las Vegas, LA, probably, probably if they were going to come anywhere here, it would be Miami with a big crowd. But I mean, let's face it, at this point in time, they don't have, they can do whatever they want. I mean, wherever right. what, they're going to pick the place to play, they're going to sell it out and then they're going to move on. But yeah, they're not going to play. Milwaukee. They're not going to play Jacksonville. They're not going to play Albuquerque, New Mexico. So, I mean, 
we'll have to, if I get the chance, I'll definitely do it. But you're right. Probably not going to be around anywhere that I am. Well, I guess we can take a quick look here. Welch, Minnesota. Hmm. Okay. Which is probably Minneapolis. Twi- Twin Cities, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chicago, Toronto, Columbia, Maryland, which is basically D.C. Right. New York, Columbus, Ohio, Fort Worth, Dallas, in other words, Texas, mm-hmm. two nights in Vegas, San Francisco, Phoenix, three nights at the Hollywood Bowl. I guess they could add some dates, but I mean, those are, they're not even playing Miami. They're not even playing Atlanta. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, so much for that idea. But uh, I, I suggest you go because it's fun and uh, you know it was colorful. It, again, mm-hmm. they set this trend with fashion, not only style, but fashion throughout the 80s. Then they kind of got into the, we're so cool, we're going to wear black all the time. But I, I'm, I'm glad. I mean, I can't imagine them wearing that Dayglo stuff anywhere but the stage. But <laughs> especially when you're in a place where you're 200 yards away, yeah. absolutely that's the way they ought to be dressing. They're the old new romantics, right? They should be proud of the color that they that they wear. And I'm glad they're doing that too, because I think the black was was like a 90s and early 2000s thing. They, they, I think they wanted to distance themselves from being a quote unquote 80s band. Right. But at this point in time, they've got the they've got the track record. They've got enough new albums now to say that they're not a nostalgia act. And I mean, if 85,000 people show up to see them in Hyde Park, they're still pretty relevant. So yeah, go ahead and just embrace it. This is who we are. This is what we wear. This is what we look like. Deal with it. And when he was singing, I mean, I know that maybe his voice wasn't quite wound up for the first two songs, but when he was doing Girls on Film, he was belting it out. He was holding the notes like he was really good. Like there was, he was no break in it. He didn't have to change keys or anything. Like he was doing it extremely well. I was like, wow, he, he really does still have it. And as long as he has it, the band can go on for a while. Right. And, and so then I was going to ask you too. So if that's the case, uh, the end of ordinary world, he goes up on the, on the record, he goes up pretty high. Mm-hmm. Was that the same thing or did he tune that down? Um, I'm trying to remember. I, I don't know if he tried to hold it that hard. I, I just remember girls on film. I'm like, A, the guitar player, Dom, I don't think it was his fault. I think his sound was off. And I don't know if it was his equipment. I don't I don't really necessarily think it was his playing. I think it was the way okay. it was all hooked together. But I'm like, he was off and Simon was on. And then like Simon still has it, which bodes well because Save a Prayer, which came after, comes after that, which is really the, I guess you'd kind of call it a ballad. It's yeah. it's 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 a soft song. It's kind of a crooner song. It, he he was smooth for that, so it was worth it. It was it was worth going to see him. But I, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to any festivals or or stadium concerts for a while. I want to go to theaters and maybe <laughs> maybe a good arena somewhere. But I, yeah, I think I, that's I, better for me. I was thinking the same thing in Jacksonville. Just saying, it's a great experience. And it's it's great to see this many people show up, but as far as actually seeing the show, it really did. And and the thing is, there there really isn't that much show either because they they realize that most of the people are only watching the video screen. Screen, right? Yeah. So that's that's where they put a lot of the focus. So if you if you actually got up or front row, you would say, "Oh, well, there's nothing really going on here. It's all just blacked out. You know, everything's painted black. There's a drum riser, mm-hmm. and that's about it because everything's happening on the screens." So yeah, to see them in more of a a smaller space where they would do more with the stage, I think would be preferable. (laughs) 
So that's my take on Duran Duran Live at Hyde Park, BST Summertime, the last show of the year. And so glad that I went, you know. I mean, gotta tell you guys, as a kid growing up, watching MTV, buying my first cassettes with my own money, it was kind of all about Duran Duran to me. They had a look, they had a great sound, they were all over the place. Like Jackson said during the show, it was really for Americans of our generation, the second coming of the Beatles, or the closest thing that we were ever going to get to it, right? They had a huge hype around them, their songs were everywhere, they had this new technology called MTV to help promote them, they were full of color, they were different than just the old rock and roll, and as much as I love like Sabbath, Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Aerosmith, the heavy music of the 70s, come the 80s, it was time for something fresh, it was time for something new. I guess they were called the New Romantics, and we just knew them as kind of new wave or pop music that kind of fit into this bigger landscape of pop music and MTV in the early 80s. But to, to see them there, basically the original band, Andy Taylor came back in when, when Roger came back in, in the 2000s there, but he's gone now. But basically the original band back together, doing the songs that they love, big stage show, lots of lights, Lots of color. It was fun. You know, it was a good time. Kind of a, a lifelong goal finally achieved. And so to my friend J-Lo out there, I hope you get the chance to see them as well, my lady, because it was great. It was fun. And there are a lot of people having a good time. So to anyone out there in America who in August and September are going to be able to see them with Chic and Nile Rogers opening up for them, I highly recommend it. So thanks, guys. And as usual, hey, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? You have got to let us know. Tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. We've also got an email for you, uglyamericanwerewolf at gmail.com. Let us know what you think about the show. Let us know what albums or bands or concerts, DVDs, movies, what you would like to hear us talk about. Maybe which guests you like for us to get on the show, because we've had a great run lately of both musicians and other podcasters, uh, and we want to continue that run. And if you're thinking about it, hey, go out to wherever you listen, whether it's iTunes or Apple Music, which are probably most popular for us, Spotify. Good Pods has been very good to us. We ended up in their top 10 again this week, and we appreciate that. Google Play, YouTube, wherever you like to get it, Go ahead and give us a positive review, and it just helps us find other rock and roll fans like you, helps us grow the show, helps us get more and better guests on. And if you send us the review or we get wind of it, hey, we might just read it here on the show. We'd love to hear from you. And, of course, we need to thank our sponsors, RareVinyl.com. You check it out, old Duran Duran singles or albums, looking for some rare CDs, go to RareVinyl.com, use the code PODCAST, you will get 10% off of your order. Thanks to everybody at Pantheon Podcasts, our family of amazing music podcasts at Pantheon Pods, www.pantheonpodcast.com. And make sure you check in next week. Next week is going to be one of the biggest shows we've ever done here on The Wolf. I'm not going to tell you who it is just yet, but I will tell you it's our first interview with a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Somebody who we regard very highly on this show and have done several shows about in the past. Uh, that might give you a little bit of a hint. Our prog friends probably know who we are talking about, but super excited. It's going to be a great show, uh, and we can't wait to share it with you. So until next time, all you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and stay safe. What 
would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.